everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, We Don't Play Clemson Week week. Yeah, we're going to have to face them for at least another, well, it's probably going to be about 50, 50 weeks. 50 weeks. <laughs> since yeah, we're definitely facing them next year to start honestly, the year. Honestly, just that's fine. Get it out of the way. <laughs> yeah, just start on one, and then from there, just... Uh, just win the next 11. That's fine. Um, honestly, I, I think we'll talk a little bit about this game, uh, hopefully in ways that we haven't to this point or anyone else has to this point. Um, Dan, I'm starting to think that we're the ones who, who Clemson has our number in this series. It, it, I know that sounds like a contrarian take, but if you look at the, other than the blowout win for Clemson in 2016, um, SU has been pretty snake bitten in these games and has had a chance to win a hell of a lot of them. Yeah, I mean, we we almost won the game down there in I think what Schaefer's second year. Um, yeah, twenty fourteen. A horrific uh, slugfest. That not even only, football. It was it was real bad on both ends. Like Clemson didn't play well at all. Uh, credit to like that was probably one of the best. Honestly, probably one of the best coaching jobs of Schaefer's head coaching tenure was keeping them in that game. Um, and then you go know, uh, with obviously uh, two years ago we won, and then last year we probably should have won. Um, it's tough because you don't want to like, like sell yourself short on really good efforts against uh, what is right at this moment the best program in college football. But it would be nice to have a second win um, and really like make your mark there. At the same time, you know, it's not like anyone else has had much more uh, success there. Also, like, don't forget the 2015 Mahoney game. Oh yeah, that wasn't a terrible. That was a that was a ten point loss too, and that was a game that was very much still in the balance. Like at the end, like within the last like seven eight minutes. Like not to say that like we're almost as good as Clemson because we're not, and I don't want this like be misconstrued if there's any Tigers fans chiming in here. But more to just say like I feel like SU is the team that that Clemson has their number, and like that that Clemson's managed to close the door on us. Um, numerous times when we've had the upset ready to go. And like, you know, I, I kind of mentioned this in the noons letter this morning, like there's an alternate reality where we've won all these games. Yeah, and, I think, I think oh, that's like one of the marks of like being a great team is like you win those games and you don't get uh, rattled in the fourth quarter and you make the plays in the last like eight minutes that you're required to make. And, and, you know, our team's done that once and, you know, we know what a win over Clemson looks like. You make a lot of, you know, really big clutch plays and there were so many moments this past weekend where you're like oh yeah in 2017 Taj Harris makes that catch for the first down uh we don't have like the really bad drops we have blitz pickups fewer um, penalties the penalties like you see you we've all seen what a what the the blueprint for a game went over Clemson is and this weekend um we did I'd say like we did a number of things that are that you know picking off Trevor Lawrence twice like you need those kind of plays those big impact defensive plays. Unfortunately, we just completely failed to translate them into points um, and do whatever it was uh, necessary to keep Clemson on them, their toes. So ultimately, they were able to kind of coast at the end, um, which is I think kind of like the frustrating thing about that game. It was forty to six. Obviously, the last touchdown was total garbage time for them on both sides. We were both playing second stringers. Um, really bad and- beat. <laughs> Yeah, um, there was the uh, Amari Rogers touchdown, which I know it wasn't like the most decisive thing in the world. I don't know how you look at the replay 85 times like we all did and not say like he almost definitely touched out of bounds. Um, yeah, I think that's the problem is the ruling. If the ruling on the field had been he was out of bounds, 
I feel like they would have been hard pressed to overturn, but because right, they ruled that he was state in bounds. It was like there's like a, there's a there's a universe in which his heel never actually touched down. I just struggle to find that that's actually what happened. At the same time, um, Cordy needs to just make a tackle and not try to shove him out because it's Amari Rogers. He's a five star, like super strong, brutally fast receiver who somehow recovers from ACL surgery in like five months. Um, you need to make a tackle there. You can't just like oh you know you can't put that into any question. Yeah, that has nothing to do with the size either. Like, I mean, admittedly, and I talked about this with like Seth Goldberg on Twitter, and I mentioned it in numerous posts. Like, as you never, I understood what they were doing, trying to cycle out corners, and like specifically, like Afitu Malafanwu, um, Trill Williams, and uh, Cordy get a lot of looks at corner in a four-three alignment. But problem is, like, none of those guys are necessarily like Malafanwu is a starting corner. Cordy is a former safety who plays nickel and is 5'8". Like, that Cordy, like, they, they seem ready to die on that, like, to, to, to paraphrase, like, Richard Johnson, like, um, over at uh, Banner Society. Like, they, they very much seem ready to die on that hill of, like, having their receivers beat Cordy and, like, daring them to do so. And, like, Cordy's a very good player, but I don't think Cordy's good enough to overcome, you know, that, that height disadvantage that, that Clemson was happy to take advantage of this entire game. Yeah, and the other problem is that you're playing Clemson, who has three receivers that would probably be the number one receiver on, and I'm not going to be like outrageous in saying this, 128 uh, college football teams. I'd say maybe Alabama, I'd say, has the best receiver in the country in Jerry Judy. And then Clemson's Clemson's trio of T. Higgins, Amari Rogers, now he- evidently healthy, and Justin Ross, who barely made, you know, I, I don't know, have his numbers in front of me, um, didn't even make like a much of a splash. Uh, Justin Ross caught five for 64, so not a bad game, but like, you can make an argument that Justin Ross is the best receiver on that team. And he was like the third most impactful one. T Higgins is a matchup nightmare. Like no one has six, four corners to throw out that guy. Um, and honestly, like none of his plays even bothered me because they were, they were just like jump balls that, you know, he is one of a handful of receivers that are going to make. And like largely our defenders were in decent position. Um, like the, those kind of plays like don't honestly bother me that much because your guys are playing the best they can and when a six foot four future number uh first round pick makes a catch like like some of the ones he made it is what it is it's like the effort plays and not tackling rogers uh, over the sideline uh and some of those things that bother me but at the same time like i don't want to you know we've kind of let off of the defense here the defense is the only reason we were in this game at all they made some huge huge plays that you know in the 2017 game those two interceptions lead to two touchdowns that's what you need to do to be clumsy this year they led to zero points which is outrageous um and, you know, is really the, the defining thing in this game. Like there were there were moments here where we were like we could have at least made it uh, a legitimate like challenge at the end. And we just kept on falling short on those uh, issues. And I think, you know, largely because DeVito wasn't sharp, but I think more because the 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 Brett Venables decided he was going to blitz Tommy DeVito what felt like about 75 percent of the time. And I was going to do anything about it. <laughs> It works so often. Like, I can't remember one time where we're like, oh, we really blocked that up, and now they have to think. The only times were the Moniel dump-offs. And those weren't even blocked. Those were just they, – they were designed to deal with the blitz, and I don't, I don't yeah. understand what the hell – like, I, like I, I think we're going to get to, like, like all, all the people that are done with Dino after this game, and there were plenty of really bad Syracuse fans, and th- those people are always bad. This is not, like, a unique thing for them, being bad, but there were so many bad Syracuse fans after, and, and bad Syracuse fans' takes after this game that it became a little exhausting, but like there, there is a legitimate gripe with some of the play calling, um, how SU dealt with the blitz. The fact that 
the one time they decided to opt for quick passes, like Mo Neal was right there for big gains. And then SU kind of got away from that approach for the rest of the time. I mean, the, people will center in on, on DeVito's pick, and that was abhorrent. And, and, and really, like, I had me beside myself um, in, was, in a lot of ways. Mean, there's no excuse for it. Like, he threw to no one. He was For the third straight game. By. Yes. The, my, my, the my, same my, goddamn pass. My biggest fear is that now it's so obvious that if you just get an edge rusher to flush DeVito to the right, he will throw a ball to the sideline where there could be a receiver there. He There there could not be. He was going to throw the ball inbounds, and it gives you an ample opportunity to pick it off. It's happened three games in a row. Like, and he did that so many times. And it's, it's actually shocking. He has some more interceptions like that because like, like you can, you can tell, especially in college when like quarterbacks who get rattled, have like kind of a, kind of like a tick or kind of like a safety valve. And you hope it's something a little more healthy than just like go to the sideline and chuck one up. And that's clearly it for DeVito. And he just, they need to break that. They need to break that habit of his because it's, it is horrifying. And also like, throwing a pick to the sideline is like one of the worst things you can do because you have half, you know, in all likelihood, half of your offense, um, if you're rolled out that far is not there to make a tackle afterwards, if you throw an interception. So there, I mean, he's not throw pick sixes like that regularly. So hopefully they've, they just drill that out of him this week because it is really awful. And you're just never putting yourself in a good situation. Um, obviously like going into the year, we were hoping, Hey, we didn't think our offensive line was going to struggle this much. Um, but we were hoping that you'd see more from, you, you, we'd see more of like a pocket, you know, around DeVito and he, you know, is clearly more comfortable when he has good protection, who isn't, but like Eric Dungy last year. And I, I hate to like every week you have to make the DeVito Dungy comparisons, but they're kind of natural at this point. Um, Dungy for, you know, had some issues in that, like he was prone to taking these big sacks. He would occasionally try to make something happen, but the plays he would make, a he would uh, negotiate a pocket that was chaotic, way better in in and outside of the pocket. Um, he was unafraid to kind of you know pick up the yards given to him, um, but also like he didn't make those kind of uh, mistakes. Like his mistakes were like eight yard losses versus you know interceptions yeah. that there was like a one maybe a point five percent chance that somehow a Syracuse player was going to catch that ball. I mean, I can think of two different circumstances where that did happen, but yes, I'd say by and large, Tommy already has more of those throws. Than, than Dungy did like and, and Tommy's a much better passer which is the confusing part like I think what we what everyone undersold about Dungy I think us included and, and most Syracuse fans is that he really did cover up for for what was a an average to below average offensive line last year because he was so good at throwing on the run because he was so good at, at, at as you said you know doing a lot with a chaotic pocket like he he, he managed to just extend plays like all of those things add up to add up to to all of those big plays that he made and, and and those gains out of nowhere and just the offense itself and I think you know maybe even Dino Babers and the offensive staff maybe forgot about this a little bit too like you know Devito can't throw on the run right now which is like right now his his progressions are drop back start reading if you start feeling a blitz immediately roll out um, mostly to the right <laughs> immediately roll out. While you're rolling out, do not look for any targets. Just try to elude pressure and then try to reestablish yourself uh, close to the, to the sideline. Like, that's not, that's not going to work at the Power 5 level. It's barely going to work at the G5 level, um, depending on your opponent. Like, he's – I think DeVito's a great player, and I think he's very talented. I do, however, think that 
we're falling victim to some of the things that just this offensive line is stopping him from being able to do. And he can't, he can't close this gap automatically and just become someone who's comfortable throwing on the run, who's comfortable in a chaotic pocket, who's comfortable, you know, making quick plays and finding safety valves quickly and going through his progressions quickly. Like because the offensive line isn't ready and, and has been banged up, DeVito just can't look the part. And, and that's, that's the crux of why we are struggling so much right now. Yeah, I'd say if there's a if there's a uh, a bright you know uh, not a bright spot but like a silver lining is that offensive line is one of those places where you can see development during the year. Like we saw it last year, offensive line got a lot better throughout the season. We've seen it in years past. We're like uh, 2012 comes to mind. Early on, like we really struggled and in some tough fronts, and then by year's end, it was like a strength of ours, and we were running the ball really well. Um, so I, I think like if you're to develop at a spot, like once we find that chemistry and hopefully some of these young guys who are inexperienced come along, we'll figure it out a bit better. But so far, um, it's been really rough. Uh, now, you know, I think Maryland's front looked pretty decent. Of course, Temple trying to manhandle them this weekend, which doesn't didn't feel great. Um, Clemson uh, didn't have like the four studs up front like they had last year, but they made up for it by running just a hectic number of different stunts and different looks. And um, Venables like really got in his bag for that game. And it worked, you know, spectacularly. We, he did everything possible to confuse our own line. Um, so we probably won't have to fa- uh, face any teams that are of uh, the Clemson caliber. Um, and maybe some that are just kind of below average. The ACC looks really bad this year. Um, so hopefully we'll be able to kind of get it together by mid season here and then really make a run at it. But, Right now, right. like off the line is not gelling with what DeVito is good at. And uh, I think that's where most of the problems stem from. Uh, and that's unfortunate because there's like, you know, we need to figure it out. It's not like it's an excuse, but there's, you can't just say it. And then that's like, that's it. You know, just as you identified it, like we need to make it work somehow. Um, and I also think like the, the, going back to the original point here in general, I don't know how you're going to say you're going to be dumb. Like uh, there was people in my, in Twitter this weekend. And I know this isn't like a super great representation of everybody, but like, I don't think you can say you're done with Babers after two bad games or even three, if you want to roll in Liberty and then discount like all of last year, like these things all roll in and like, you can't just throw out um, all of the like nice things that we saw the first two years where he was clearly rebuilding the program. And then a 10 win season where, yeah, he liked the, the roster came together, but that's what happens for new coaches. Like, they, they hit a point where like the, the veterans come together and you add in the new pieces and things gel. Um, you can't just like dispatch those because this season uh, is happening in front of you and like, Oh, too bad games. Oh, too you got to throw them away. Throw so away. so um, I uh, think, I like, think Babers like, takes a lot of the blame for these, first, these first three games three on games offense. offense. It's his offense. It's but at the same time, I think we should all know better and say there's, you know, plenty of, Evidence that he should be able to get this uh, back on track and, and figure something out by midseason. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I have full faith in that Baber's going to be able to get this back on track, and maybe back on track is seven and five. Um, you know, because at the end of the day, like I, I forgot where this was said that like you know Baber's offense is only as good as the slowest lineman. Um, right now, linemen aren't necessarily great, so everything else is kind of falling apart. Like realistically, where we've given you know Clemson fits in recent years is because, you know, Venable's defense is largely um, based on, you know, those pre-snap adjustments and a lot of switching and, and, and those changes. And, like, if you if you run tempo, and, I, you know, I understand that, that there's more to it than just that, but if you run – if you're a good team running at tempo, it becomes very hard for Clemson to do those things that they like to do um, pre-snap to create chaos on the other end. Like, 
you saw when SU was snapping quickly, um, they were making things happen. And I, I think in general, you know, that, that also extends to kind of my larger critique about, and like, I don't really have the time to dig into the full red zone breakdown for Baber's entire tenure, but this year in particular, you can see it, like the few times SU's been in the red zone. Um, Babers has a, a tendency to kind of pack it in um, a little bit when, when SU gets close to the, the, the end zone. And I think that's why we've struggled in the red zone so much um, in recent years is just because like we run a completely different offense. Now, the past few years, Dun- having Dungy there, you know, having that bootleg look, having the ability to, for him to dive, like all that's great and, and is, is covered up some issues. And we've still had it, again, a below average uh, red zone offense in that case. But like now when we don't have that look, I mean, you saw the, the, the bootleg was sniffed out immediately um, when SU tried it against Clemson. Like we can't, we, we, we have to, I think, adjust at this point and realize that like going big and trying to power it in after you've spread everybody out um, for the entirety of that drive is, is a poor idea. It's not working. And, and, and with this personnel, like what we've done in the past is also not going to work. So I, again, like I, I, this isn't to hammer Babers. I think if there's one place that I would circle as maybe an area for just SU's coaching staff to improve, it's, it's this specific area where I get, like, especially to be honest, it, it, should, it should be second nature because if your offensive line is struggling, then you want to get the ball out quickly. Um, th- then you want to be able to, to snap the ball quickly and move. So I feel like, yeah, trying to power, trying to power past an opponent, especially a, a, t- a more talented and superior opponent the way Clemson was, trying to power past them inside the five um, with this offensive line in particular just seems like a fool's errand. Yeah, yeah like... like- I think in general, like we've seen that spreading all defenses out works, and I think that still holds near the 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 uh, near the goal line. Like I, I get the inclination to want to go big and just stuff it stuff it in, and like I think there are situations where you try that. I don't think I think in in football in general we're past the point where you run a you know a dive or a fullback dive or a quarterback sneak three plays in a row. Um, I think there are advantages to having four you know four wide and run some stunts, run run some kind of light. Uh, unenforceable rub routes um, and just do those kind of things that put you still uh, keep your numbers advantage and keep your uh, space advantage, uh, especially with like a one step drop and throw or so. Um, and I know there are like risks there as well, but um, I think you can keep like some of the more, you know, old school power football elements in there, but you can't just rely on those for like three straight downs and then, you know, end up pulling a Pat Narduzzi and taking a field goal off the upright. Like you need to actually give some different looks in the red zone. And that has been a struggle for Babers uh, probably more than anything else uh, through the full tenure here. Um, and also just because we were on the topic, I went and looked it up because, it up because some people, some people think, think that, that, that like we automatically, automatically win 11, 11 this year, year we won 10 last year. The last time, if we were to go seven, if we were to go seven and six this year, like lose a, lose a bowl game or just to win a bowl game. Bowl game. Um, the last time we had 17 wins in a two-year stretch was 1998 to 1999. Actually, 97 to 98. So this isn't yes. like every. This isn't like where we've always been. It's been a long time since we won 17 games over the course of two seasons. So we can calm down if that's what happens. Like that could that is still incremental progress. Maybe it's a slight step back from where we thought we were going to be. But like if we you know rate the ship here and get to seven wins uh, in any way or eight wins even. Like that's still so much better than Syracuse has been over a two game stretch in decades since like way before coach P thought he was going to get fired. Like this was still pretty prime coach P. So, so that's, that's wild, wild. And we and need we to like accept, like, accept that, that as, as where our, where our program's, our program's been. been. 
Well, I just, I mean, seeing all the comments, seeing all the Twitter stupidity, seeing all the Facebook stupidity, like I said, I, I know there's plenty of good fans out there and, and I, I've interacted with plenty of them. You have too. At the same time, like how many, like how many times were people like beating the, we're going 10 and two and there's no other way I see the season ending drum. Like even reasonable folks leading up to, I mean, you and I even like saw nine and three. Wins, and then, yeah, we predicted, know, we predicted nine. Yeah, we predicted we predicted nine. We did say there was an easy road to get to seven, though. Um, so, like, I, I, I doubt it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and here we are. Like, thing you, you and I, and other people that said nine also said. There, I mean, there were plenty of people outside the Syracuse fan base that that said nine, ten wins. But like, we said nine. We said, but seven was a distinct possibility. Like, there's a lot of people banging the drum for for nine, ten wins as the, as the floor. Like here, like, did everyone just like forget what this program is, what this team is, like? Talent level on the team. It's not to say the talent level is bad. It's not, but talent level's no better than top fifty. And like sometimes that team will get good breaks. Sometimes they'll get bad breaks. I think. Yeah, you know, I, I wrote on on Sunday. Like this, this whole season's still ahead of us. There's in, in in most iterations of this season, we were losing to Clemson. So check. Uh, in most iterations of the season, we were beating Liberty. Check. So really, you know, getting blown out by Maryland, maybe that's, you know, the outlier right now. We don't know. But there's still nine games left. And if Syracuse goes five and four in them, we're going to a bowl game. <laughs> I, I just think people need to recalibrate. Just I, I, I said this before the season, and I got shouted down by some folks who were claiming that I was trying to hedge. Like, and, and I know, like, other more realistic people have, have been shouted down too. Like, this this is how it goes. Being back isn't as simple as just winning 10 games and being ranked. Like, you know, that, that that's part of it. That, that's part of getting back is getting to that point and being able to, to plant that flag and being able to say you won 10 games recently and being able to be a part of the national conversation. But you have to do that consistently and, you know, cashing in on those seasons and getting the, the better talent level and keeping the good coaches is how you get there consistently and how you are actually back. I mean, ask USC how often they're quote-unquote back versus actually back. Ask Miami. Um, it has numerous other programs too, like Virginia Tech lately, to be honest. Um, like Oregon even, where like Oregon's kind of like, you know, taking on some water. They're still doing really well, but like they've taken on some water against more elite opponents. Like, I, I just, I'm very confused as to like, and I was confused all offseason as to like, what everyone had deluded themselves into. And, and, and I apologize if I was part of how that delusion got started uh, and how it perpetuated. But like, let's, let, let's be real about, about who we are, what we are, and, and, and what Syracuse's program is. And, and just, again, recalibrate. Recalibrate and say, this, this is what's still on the table. This is what's still here for us. And seven and five, like we said, literally like 10 months ago, seven and five this year was, has always been in play and it would always be a success. Yeah, we're, it's it's. I think some people just expected to like step steps, where like they we got to ten wins last year and they thought we were going to jump up into like I don't know the Wisconsin tier of like sub national championship contender. When really like there are a lot of teams that win ten games occasionally. Um, like you want to get back to the point where like oh Syracuse only made the military bowl. That's actually kind of disappointing. Um, that's where we want to be right now. Like when we make a bowl, it's like, Oh, nice season for them. And we want to get to the point where like making a bowl is the bare minimum. We want to get to like the, uh, like the mid-level, like TCU level of like, 
this program to be special every so often they have good coaching and most and they're they're going to be involved every year like and that took them forever to get first. there yeah and it took them so long and it took a, a, lot a of team surrounded by talent yeah it took a lot of programs like it it takes you know multiple good coaching hires it takes really good infrastructure it takes a will to get there um and then you can maybe consider then you can do the clemson thing which you know one team every decade maybe does and then vault yourself into the top tier but clemson was was like mired in like if not mediocrity they were in that like wisconsin tier for the longest time for like oh yeah, yeah some people win nine yeah. games every so often and, and, and they fell short plenty of time. i mean and they dipped into a five six win season you know once every five years i mean clemsoning was a thing like Clemson was the West always Virginia team, like a national yeah, embarrassment. Yeah, getting blown off the field which, in the Orange Which Bowl. is honestly what led to like the staff. Venables getting now. yeah, yeah. Venables, yeah. Literally, like in, this story's been written numerous times where they got blown off the field. Obviously, they were replacing the defensive staff. Uh, Venables was kind of falling out of favor with with, with Stoops and and that, and that regime at Oklahoma. Declining the West Virginia team that we beat, by the way. Same yeah, team. Yeah, same team. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, like Venables was falling out a little bit and his numbers uh, for his, his guys had it kind of declined year over year for a few seasons, but not to any significant level. I mean, it was still like a top 50 defense. And Dabo came in, and, and credit to Dabo, who I'm not always a huge fan of, but I, I think what he does and how he empowers his assistants is so huge for that program. Like, as he brought him in and let him just go to work. And, and Venables has now made that defense one of the like one of the hallmarks of college football is Clemson having an aggressive um, athletic defense that can pretty much do anything you task them with. Yeah. I think you, if you take away like the like weird, very well publicized religiosity of the Depo Swinney program, um, which I'm going to for the sake of conversation here, uh, which I don't think either of us is a huge fan of, and is also not like very replicable. I don't think um, Dabo Swinney, did a brilliant job of understanding exactly what he was good and not good at when he took over that job, which if on paper, he, he had no right to get <laughs> like it was when he was hot, when he was promoted as the interim coach, you're like, whatever. Um, he had some nice wins. They He's a good like, recruiter. Like, and then yeah, spat it. It, looked, it looked like, it, honestly, it looked like the South Schaefer hire. Like they hired him the year after you're like, okay, see what he can do. If not, you know, you don't invest in a big time coach. He knew, that he was not gonna, you know, he wasn't a, gonna steam up stuff. Like he was a wide receiver starts before that. He was a really good recruiter and he was charismatic. And he apparently was just had these good management skills. Um, and he did an incredible job of filling in these holes. Um, he, for a long time, took a lot, not, not really anymore, because the school, Tums, it's probably as dedicated to building this football program as any program in the country, um, especially like con- considering where they were. They've just like really made sure this is what they're doing as a, pro- as a university vision um like going forward this was like the biggest thing for the university and it's probably worked i guarantee you their enrollment and their numbers are all up as a result um they he just made sure to go get like the best possible coaches he could empower them tell them to to do their own stuff pay them incredibly well and that's like a legit i think replicable model more so than like the the class of like every sec team goes and hires a saban assistant and like one of them has worked out so far and that's gonna be smart um saban's a rare coaching talent i don't know that Dabo's a rare coaching talent i think Dabo um gets it better than most coaches with his level of ability i think he understands his own weaknesses and has just like really adapted to them um and to like incredible results and that's why you see like ed orgeron's doing the same thing now like coach o was like a good position coach an incredible recruiter charismatic 
he's not going to draw up an off- offense for you or a defense for you. So he went and hired like Dave Aranda. He went and just posted a, 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 the coach from the Saints who's like completely re- reforming their offense. You know, he knew like, hey, if I don't get this turned around in a year, um, I'm probably going to get fired in a year or two. So let me go just do something radically different and figure this out rather than be worried about like running this program the way I've always envisioned it. And like, I think that's more replicable than what Saban does where Saban is just an amazing coach. Um, so yeah, I, I think we you can appreciate Swinney for that and like, and what he's built there. Um, because that honestly is like, they're the, the only team that's become a blue blood in how many years? Like, 20 they're they're really it since florida like yeah that's probably the answer yeah like i i I couldn't think of another one like in oregon like can can get all shitty about this if they want but win a title title and if Oregon had won a title they would be there i think they just didn't it'd be so close i mean you and i have talked about this before like oregon is the only school to really buy their way into that conversation like everybody else has Clemson, but Clemson didn't buy it. I would say I think Clemson built it. They invested. In it. It, like, yeah, they invested in it, and like they didn't have a mega booster. They didn't have like the same machinations that Oregon did. I think Clemson really like built it over time and had the infrastructure in place. Oregon literally just dumped money into starting from scratch, basically, and said, "All right, Oregon's a thing now," and 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 then and then spent the money to 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 match up with that. So yeah, I, I think Clemson is the only Clemson's the only school, just like in basketball, I think Villanova's the only school to get themselves in. And I still don't think Villanova's in that like top top tier conversation. I think Clemson has put themselves in it. Um, I think um, I think football's so much harder that like Clemson is. has. Nova, I think the biggest argument you make against Nova um is, it, like, is consistency. We want to see what happens. Yeah. Post Jay Ray. Yeah, we want to see what happens after Jay Wright. And you could say the same thing about Clemson, but I think Clemson has built like I, I feel more comfortable with saying Clemson if Swinney, like if Dabo leaves to the Alabama job at some point um, will be all because oh, because it's now a super desirable job. It's it, it, it's right. it's now a job that you want and need and you understand the path to getting the national championship. I think for Villanova, sure, the, the, there, there's a script there, but realistically, we've seen it happen before. If you if you if you lose, if you if those fans become disengaged, you're still in the Big East. You're still at a, at a money disadvantage. You still have the, the script to winning at Villanova is the same script to winning at Virginia. It's the same script to winning at most of the Big East schools. It's the same script to winning at a bunch of the ACC schools too. There's not like this this special formula there where at Clemson there are factors that make it a very different type of job. Yep. So this is all to say that uh, the Clemson model should show you that like this does not happen overnight and it doesn't happen as he won 10 games once. So we need to just like there's just no universe in which Babers like is not even even being discussed for the hot seat this year unless like the locker room explodes which I don't think is going to happen like maybe there are some issues because the team isn't doing well but, like let's let's see the season play out and then we'll evaluate where everything is but like he's not going anywhere he hasn't forgotten how to coach overnight and I, I agree he hasn't coached well in these first three games it's probably the I'd say just in pure coaching it's probably the worst three game stretch of his time here um I think it's most likely a blip because we have we still improved this past game. (laughs) Yeah, we we did improve, and like the defense improved a lot. Like I actually thought, uh, I actually thought the uh, the defense, you know, was a big step forward from Maryland. A, I mean, they gave up like sixty, what forty, uh, twenty, twenty three fewer points. points. But also, like one of those touchdowns is a write off. Um, another one, like like big players make big plays. It is 
it is what it is. Like the defense in a there's there's a very realistic universe in which the defense like only gave up 28 points in that game, and against Clemson you'll sign for that. Um, so yeah, I think they got that side of it. I, if they play the same defense they played against Clemson and it's everyone, uh, because the talent level is not going to be there for every for any other team we play, um, we're probably going to win some games just on the strength of the defense. Um, so unless they go get lit up by Western Michigan this weekend, I'm not going to be too concerned about that side of the ball. I think the Maryland there's a very good chance the Maryland game was an aberration. Um, offensively, we got to figure it out, and that's Babers, that's Babers, uh, you know, side of things. But like, we we've seen consistent progression on offense every year. Uh, a three game blip isn't going to make me write him off as a coach. That's just a ridiculous thing to do. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, why don't we take a little bit of break for our sponsor? And Dan, let's talk some halftime. Uh, what have you been drinking? Uh, I've had a nice little mix of newer stuff and older stuff. Um, the new thing I had uh, was a Headway IPA from Counterweight Brewing, which is uh, up in Hamden, Connecticut. Um, I had never had anything from them, I don't think. Um, but this was a super, uh, super tasty uh, citrusy IPA. Um, really enjoyed that. Uh, I had a Samoa This from Southern Tier, uh, which is a, uh, you know, as you can probably get from the name, kind of coconutty, chocolatey stout. Um, I also had a couple things from Wolf Hollow. I had their Campout Stout. I had their Oktoberfest, which was really delicious. Uh, I had a Take 7 from Boulevard, which is always a go-to when, uh, when I see that pop up. Uh, I had uh, Toted Tiles from LAC Beer Project, one of my favorite New York beers. Uh, and I think that's the list. Fair enough. Uh, for me, uh, nothing too crazy. I really just drank the same thing a couple days in a row. I uh, had a four-pack of uh, Modern Times Ghost Mountain New England IPA. Uh, it was hazy, but not overly so. Um, and then I had uh, Russian Rivers uh, STS Pills, which is a really good one. And, and since Russian Rivers up their production of late, um, I've seen it quite a bit on shelves. So I'm always happy to grab it. It's cheap. It's very good. Uh, but highly recommend it for those who are out in this area because it's really the only place you're going to get it. Um, but why don't we talk one more thing about Clemson, and then we, I promise we'll head to WMU. Um, there's a reality, Dan, where late in third quarter, Syracuse is up 20 to 17. I think that's the thing that kills me here, and that's what, why I immediately, and I know I tagged you on Twitter on this, immediately think that this game needs to go in the dumb game pantheon, and it, will, it won't look like the rest of them, and I think that's why it, it occupies its own wing, because the things that happened in this game, the way it made me feel, uh, was just a very unique um, dynamic, and, and, and one that, like, very, I, I, I can't recall another game that... that it looked the way this one did, and yet made me feel the way this one did at the same time. Yeah, see, I, tr- I had trouble when you when you sent the dumb name thing to me because it does feel so different than the uh, the rest of them. Um, I think a large part of it's that like we caught again Trevor Lawrence. I know last time we played him was his first start. Trevor Lawrence didn't look particularly good. Now, he hasn't really looked that great this year in general. Um, yeah, like I, I think he's suffering. He's looked good enough. Him. He's looked good enough. He has a ton of talent around him, but like. The best throw he made was probably the jump ball to Higgins. That was a gorgeous throw. Um, but Higgins did, like, the hardest part of it. And that was kind of the thing with this. Like, his best throws, his receivers' unique talents were the reason that they were, they were successful. And that's, you know, you understand your talent around you. But, like, that's still not exactly what, like, you know, your quarterback. Does he, like, even if he gets, if he's a number one pick, like, he's not going to have that same advantage uh, with some, you know, crappy NFL team. Um Obviously, that's a discussion for down the road since he has another year. Um, but, like, the fact that you can't take advantage of, like, Lawrence giving uh, a pretty mediocre performance, um, 
and like the two the two stops in the red zone on offense like it was it was a it was a its own brand i think um and i think there is like a difference between a dumb game like two bad syracuse and louisville teams playing versus um like syracuse punching up and just like being held at arm's length which there's a few few of those fair yeah and i i think you know when when we we finally dive into to what, what constitutes a dumb game and the levels of dumb game. We'll see if that is its own wing, if it doesn't even qualify. Yeah, I, I do feel like, you know, looking at a 41-6 to six final score and, 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 saying, and saying that game was closer than this looked feels like a really desperate attempt to, like, make it a thing. But when you look at, when, when you watch the game, when you saw how SU could have very, very easily been up 20-17 to 17 at that juncture... Like th- th- that's really the killer is, is, is how not only did we lose, but, but the appearance of the game looks like it was a definitive um, loss where SU was just buried from the beginning and, and could never get it going. And it really, I mean, it, we said this throughout the game in Slack, like at one point, the only reason we were losing was because of ourselves. And that sounded absolutely insane against the top team in the nation. Yeah. It's because for every big play, we made offense or every big play uh, Clemson made offensively. Like we had a big play like that defensively, arguably more like the stop in the first drive was awesome. Like we looked like we were coming out swinging the, the dome on TV sounded louder than I can ever remember, which I guess is what happens when you put in 50,000 people. Um, and kudos to SU for pump finding the extra couple hundred seats in there. Uh, Cause I think we were stuck at like that 49 250 number for a while in terms of capacity. So um, I guess we found, uh, found some spots for people. Um, and it was just tough to like, and and honestly, like I thought the fans. Obviously, people found out early. I get it. Um, I thought the fans did a nice job. Like that place was loud through like the entire time this game was competitive. I thought the fans did a really really good job, um, and I think that's part of it. Like we were just so close, knocking on the door of like even staying in it late when we were down. Uh, what was like twenty eight to twenty eight to three or twenty eight to six, and like it looked like we were gonna finally score a touchdown. Like, that, like the game the wasn't game really wasn't over, really until, over probably until probably the early the, the mid fourth quarter. But like but when you look like, at the numbers, sits twelve to one eighty seven total yards. Like you're like forty one sits actually doesn't even seem like what that should have been. But it, honestly, it was in the reverse where like Syracuse probably played like probably played like a three touchdown loss um, versus whatever this ended up being. Um, but like but, the like, actual raw numbers looked like Clemson should have hunted sits on us. Right. Yeah, and again, that's a testament to the defense and what they were able to do. I think, you know, I, I give them a lot of credit. So I think they, they've been under fire a little bit this year. Uh, despite the shutout in game one, they obviously looked miserable in game two. In this one, they, they, I, I'm very confused as to why Cordy was, you know, in those mismatches so much. I was surprised to see Trill out there, but Trill got an interception. Chris Frederick, honestly, not enough has been made about that interception. That, that, awesome. I mean, that was a tip drill to himself where the, the athleticism and, and the presence of mind that it takes to do that um, should not be discounted. Like Frederick is a baller and, and, and you and I have been talking about him in particular. Like he's not going to get all, all ACC nods the way he should at the end of this year. But realistically, like he's somebody who is going to be on, on some draft radars. And I think whoever's anyone who's really paying attention and has seen what, how he's improved year over year. Uh, since he's been at Syracuse, like Frederick, somebody that, that that I think is a pretty good shot at getting drafted, and if not for some reason, he's somebody who can play his way onto a roster. Yeah, I, I think like defensively, we've had like this pretty like unfortunate like we were we were doing really well in the NFL draft uh, towards the end of Marone for a while, which you know credit credit to his recruiting, he 
clearly like evaluated really well to the searching classes were any better than they are on paper right now um I think we the Schaefer era we really like just bottomed out in terms of NFL draft picks and I think it happens when you have no talent on the rest (laughs) yeah Yeah, turns out um I think that's gonna come reverse like really quick I don't know if we're gonna have like the back-to-back number you know first round pitch like we had with Pew and Chandler Jones Chandler Jones by the way who I think is leading the NFL in stats over the last like three years or so oh yeah Um, maybe one of the most underrated players in the NFL just quietly you know rolling up double digit stats every year because uh, so he plays in Arizona now, so nobody <laughs> knows what the hell's going on. Yeah, but even when he was a Patriot, like yeah, I think fair. the Patriot like thing is just that like aside from Brady and Grot while he was there, like no one got like the particular credit. Um and so it wasn't like a just a Chandler thing, but like he's been like incredible his entire NFL career, and I, I hope he somehow gets starts to get more respect for it. Um but obviously we had those two and Pew, I think he's also a Cardinal, right? Yes. Yeah, Pew's been a, a starter his entire time there. Uh, in the NFL, uh, I think we're about to start like hitting these drafts pretty hard and, and getting multiple picks every year because um, defensively, I think we have like six or seven draft picks on this defense. That's Which, again, makes the Maryland game very confusing. But I, I, I after this week, I, I, I'm going to say this was that was probably more of a blip than uh, hopefully a, a sign of things to come because like in another universe, if our offense came to play a bit and like help them out. Like we probably would have only given up maybe like 30 points or so, maybe 35 on like that late touchdown. Yeah, I agree. I, I think this is, I think that the Clemson game, I think there's a lot of good we can take from it. I think in the Maryland game, uh, it's, I think the Clemson game proved that it was a one-off really weird thing. And there might've been more looking ahead than we thought, given all the rhetoric about the team beforehand, like not worrying about Clemson until we got there. But Again, we'll see. We, we have nine games left. There's a lot more to this season. And one of those games would be Western Michigan, who we definitely want to talk about a little bit before we uh, bounce today. Um, Dan, Vegas is either really high on Western Michigan or just wants to see who's willing to, like, troll bet against us. Um, I saw the line opened at four. It dipped to three and a half quickly, and then it's kind of bounced back up to five and a half, six. Yeah, I've seen six. Um, I wasn't checking it right at the open. Um the computer numbers, I think, are a big reason for that. S&P Plus, um, we are ranked 66th, and Western Michigan is below us at uh, 77th. Um, I haven't seen Bill's uh, projections, like his head-to-head projections yet. I usually put those out, I think, later in the week. Yeah. But then, um, uh, then, then FBI, ESPN, other, other proprietary, proprietary. <laughs> metrics. It's, it's made completely inadequate by Bill's. Yeah, I, I like S&P Plus, or S, sorry, SP Plus a lot more. But um, I think most of, like, the, like, smart football player people say FPI is still, like, worth, it's, like, fine. Um, FPI is Western Michigan 56th, and we are, like, 78th. So um, that actually that gives, gives Western, Western Michigan, Michigan a uh, 55.8% chance to beat us. Yeah. That FPI is way too reactionary. I mean, last year we saw it, too, with us where, like, you know, once you win a game or, or once you play somebody close, like, the fact that we have two, like, quote-unquote blowout losses, like, automatically, like, FPI just, like, course corrects and, like, tanks us. Yeah, I need to find out. I mean, I, I need to look into I think Bill, Bill has explained, like, the main differences, but although I don't think he is privy to what FPI um, bakes in, uh, right. but they're both, like, they both have similarities. They're, like, kind of, they're done on the same, like, premise of, like, play-by-play power rankings, but they clearly have some major differences, especially with certain teams. Um, Bill's pretty upfront about what goes. Very as much. 
Yeah, like I feel like Bill brings in previous results more. And, and the recruiting I, rankings part's interesting. Yeah. He's trying to bake in, like, he's trying to find, like, a measure for talent. And ultimately, like, while recruiting rankings have major issues, they're still, like, the best thing we got, basically. Um, so, yeah, it's a little less reactionary. And I think he's kind of adjusted for that. He tweets it every year, which I appreciate. Um, so, yeah, uh, based on whatever, which one of those you prefer, we're either a slight underdog or a, a slight favorite, uh, I think. We'll, until, you know, we'll find out when Bill releases head to heads. Um, so I think the main reason why I'm still optimistic, although those numbers did give me pause, um, I'm optimistic because for whatever reason, like our lack of familiarity with these teams has seemed to be a real issue. Obviously Clemson, we didn't have that situation, but Venables like, like just threw a kitchen sink at us. Um, the first two weeks though, like we admitted that not knowing what Liberty or Maryland was going to look like was a major issue. We know exactly what Western Michigan is going to look like. We played against Leicester last year. Um, we're very familiar with them. We're familiar with the personnel. So I, I hope that, that gives us a major edge that we weren't getting in those first two games. And obviously, we have a talent advantage. We saw it last year. Um, we're at the Dome, where I think we're going to be better. So I'm still pretty high on the team going into this game, although I do think WOU is like a relatively tough uh, G5. As we saw last year, like they gave us a game in the end there. Yeah, I mean, you know, Western Michigan definitely like came back and like tried to bite in the ass last year and then you know don't you get to come back in um su ended up winning comfortably it was really only one bad quarter um that that made that game look a little bit closer than it was western michigan's passing uh offense is actually pretty good this year um i know they're throwing for 72 percent completion 897 yards uh 10.3 yards per attempt but i feel like that actually plays into our strengths pass rush and um and the defensive backs obviously they're also a very good running team uh they're top 40 in terms of yards per game and like 202 i believe um at the same time like you look at western michigan like got completely like blown out by like a michigan state team that doesn't really have a great offense um, i think michigan state put up 51 against them yeah, yeah i'm looking at that that's like the team i first went to just because like that's the best team they've played that's the power five team they've played um they won 50 uh, michigan state won 51 to 17 the fact that western michigan put 17 up on michigan state is almost impressive because michigan state just doesn't surrender points um i don't know like how that game flowed like i don't think it looked particularly close at any point um the fact they gave up 51 points to a michigan state team that like i think their goal this year is to store as few touchdowns and yet win as many games as possible like they just do not like to store uh, they scored 28 against a pretty bad Tulsa defense, and then they scored 10 against or seven against Arizona State. Um, not good, and they scored 51 on Western Michigan. So I'm not super concerned about Western Michigan's defense because Michigan State is like the opposite of explosive on offense, and they dropped 50 on them. Yeah, I, I mean the defense. Like there were so many reasons to doubt them last year after like they pretty much imploded. Then everyone's like, okay, they brought back so much production. Like, I know even Bill C mentioned, like, you know, they bring back more production than anybody else, but then started losing players to injury, started losing players to transfer. Um, the defense hasn't necessarily looked any better um, this year, uh, I, I wouldn't say. So I'm, I'm not necessarily concerned with them. I, I think the big concern for me is just whether this offense can get out of its own way. And, and, and I would think that Dino Babers at least understands that and says, okay, like Western Michigan – has some weakness on that and we really need to like i i don't want to say we need style points but like 24 to nothing's not going to cut it like we, we we need a game where we put up 35 plus 
Um, and, and that doesn't mean we have to win by 35. We need to put up 35 plus. We need to look like we look the part of of a P5 team that was ranked in the top 25 to start the year, and, and a team that you know can potentially win you know seven or eight games um, this season. So I think that yeah, put, put, putting up over 30 against this Western Michigan team, I think is essential to doing that. Um, and I hope we, we, we do manage to pull that off. Um, Lamonte Bellamy is really like the, the big concern here, but I do feel a lot better about the run defense after we actually looked pretty good for about a half and some change against Clemson. Uh, that was definitely an encouraging sign. Uh, I think in terms of the passing game, you know, John Wasink, like we saw him last year. He's done really well this year. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, there's there's some caveats. Obviously, against Michigan State, he threw for 252, but um, much lower completion percentage, only 6.8 yards per attempt, uh, one TD, two picks against them. Most of his yards have been uh, been compiled against Monmouth and Georgia State. Georgia State win, to be honest, I thought was actually, like, a pretty some pretty nice work considering what Georgia State did to Tennessee just a couple weeks ago. Um, I, I think... I think this is a, a more winnable – I think this is a winnable game, and, and obviously. I think this is a game that SU should be able to, to win by double digits. If they don't, I think there's only going to feel more concerns, and I think, you know, Babers obviously isn't on the hot seat or anything like that, but I think he understands that perception-wise, like, just just find a way to put the Broncos away and, 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 and leave no doubt that, that this team is, is, is getting back to form in this Saturday, hopefully. Yeah. I, I, if you're going to store points against a decent opponent, this is it. Like I'm, I'm now diving in more. Um, SP plus has Western Michigan's defense ranked a hundred and fourth in the country. Uh, FBI has them ranked 108th in the country. Um, like, so by, by any metric, they are a bottom 30 defense. Um, it's not, I don't think it's too much to ask them to put up like upwards of 40 points. Uh, and at least looked like pretty good doing it. If you don't like, then I think it's cause for like real concern. Um, but if they do, like I, I, I think like this is a perfect opportunity to right the ship, get a win where people can say like, oh, that's a decent Western Michigan team. They're probably going to win like eight games this year, um, and and just kind of get the get the the course corrected and get like fans back on board. Say, hey, you know, Maryland thing was was bad, but like there were you know it it, it will correct it. Clemson is Clemson. We beat Western Michigan. We're back to, to two and two. We'll do a three and two next week with Holy Cross. And then like, there's still a lot of opportunity ahead, whether it's, you know, six, seven, eight wins, whatever, like it's all laid out in front of us. Maybe you, you're, you have one fewer win on the pay on paper than you expected, but you know, ultimately things are still in the general ballpark of where you expected. So I think this game is actually like now pretty important, but I'm not going to worry about it too much uh, just because, you know, we've had these weird two weeks here. Yeah, I mean, get the win, get back to 500, and then you get Holy Cross, which, you know, barring some sort of calamity, um, you know, that should be a win too. You get to three and two before the bye, lick your wounds a little bit, you figure out what you need to improve, and then you get NC State in a tough environment on a Thursday night down in Raleigh. Like, I, you and I said this before the season started, that like kind of, you know, pit, well, NC State, pit, Florida State stretch is probably going to define a lot of this season. Um, I think now so even more. Where yes, yeah, teams it, have all looked like ass, like in different. Like Pitt had the best weekend probably, and Pitt's best weekend was blowing a game at Penn State. They should, they could have easily won if Doozy doing the most shaper thing possible. Yeah, if if he had any any like knowledge of how math works uh, with regard to football, um, 
Florida State is just a mess. Um, I guess you could say they hunt with a decent Virginia team, but they somehow, like, I understand the clock had a, there was a clock issue. They ran, like, an inconceivably bad play on the final play of the game um, to lose it. Like, they're finding ways to lose, which is never a, a good thing and demoralizing, even if you're, like, staying with teams. Like, A, Florida State should never have to worry about staying with Virginia. Um, but, like, how that game went just shows how much better Coach Bronco Mendenhall uh, and Virginia are than what Willie Taggart's in at Florida State. And then NC State lost to what is very possibly going to be the ninth place team in the Big 12 in NC State. And then BC lost to Kansas. So, like, the ACC, even if we are not what we thought we were going to be, like, these, the ACC is really bad this year. And I know we fought against that perception uh, for a long time, especially, like, a couple years ago when, you know, the ACC wasn't getting its credit. And then 2017, the whole league looked pretty good overall. Um Things are not going super well over the last two years, and we used it to our advantage last year. Uh, I see no reason why we shouldn't do that again, even if we've had like these two rough weeks. Um, we've had like the Maryland loss, I think, is is way less bad than like what half a dozen uh, ACC teams did this past weekend. So, um, no reason to like not you know jump on the you know, take advantage and and jump on some of these other teams that are also having just bizarre seasons and and i'm not gonna worry about the conference rep honestly if it comes to syracuse's advantage for a second year in a row yeah and i think that's something that everybody should really keep in mind but i, I think we'll get to the acc schedule when we get there that'll be the second week um, of october before we get back to conference play um, Dan, before we go, just a quick prediction for you uh, in the Western Michigan game. I know we talked about it a little bit, uh, but just if, if you have some numbers to, to stick to it and if you think that, that SU is going to win by double digits or whether they're going to play this one a little too close to the vest. Uh, I think it'll probably be frightening for a while. Um, I, I trust the team. I, I think Babers has to know like where we're at. He's realistic. Uh, I, I think he's going to a be like, as well prepared as possible because you can't come up playing that card like we know this offense that we're play- facing uh we know the system we just played them last year we had a stare against them last year which is probably good for us uh coming into this year like we know you can't just like uh take your foot off the gas on this team it's a pretty explosive mac team which like those teams win games like this on occasion um i'm gonna go syracuse 38 to 21 nice i'm gonna say 34 21 um just i think there's still some red zone issues I think that leads to settling for a couple field goals. I think that SU's defense looks like they make some strides again, obviously adjust for your opponent a little bit, but the defense looks like it's more intact than it was two weeks ago and more intact than it was against Clemson, especially in the second half. I think the offense uh, still doesn't look perfect, but I think that they find a way um, to look a little bit more confident. Really, like what we need to start seeing is just some more pace. Um, and, and if Tommy DeVito can just you know fire off Better passes quicker. Um, I know easier said than done, but I, I think again we, we do see some some more semblance, like just more semblance of a, a decent passing game here. Um, and hopefully, though, it's not the only thing that SU does right because I think one of the bigger problems this year has been a lack of an established run game. So I, I think you'll see, even if Devito doesn't put up amazing numbers, I think that'll be because um, Dino is actively trying to get this run game more involved. And, and, and get them to not the, maybe the level of last year, because that might be a little too much to ask given the offensive line issues, but um, get, the, get this run game to at least a more capable level where we're once again pulling teams and defenses in so that we can, you know, kind of get some more options outside, get some more screen passes. Like we really haven't seen a lot of um, 
one of the big reasons I think what we haven't seen a lot of, of, of great passing plays is because we haven't been able to run enough. So hopefully that, you know, starts getting corrected this weekend. Yeah, I mean, whether it's run or pass, like just we just need something going and some kind of coherent offensive vision because we just haven't had it through three games. And while like obviously neither of us are uh, selling babers down the river um, by any stretch, like I, I understand where the concerns are coming from. And, you know, we need to get it corrected because we have football games to win. So season is incredibly far from over. We can still accomplish pretty much everything we, we thought we were going to this year realistically. Um, but there are, you know, major concerns. And I think we have a very... Uh, good two-game stretch to get them figured out before we dive into ACC play here. Very much agreed. Uh, Dan, anything else before we go? No, nope, looking forward to the game. Looking forward to getting past like this uh, Clemson week and getting through the narratives here because they are exhausting. Um, and hopefully, uh, you know, everyone gets back on the same page and we're all satiated by a nice uh, win over Western Michigan. Agreed, agreed. Um, everyone, hope you have the ACC Network, if not at your home, at a friend's home or at a bar uh, this weekend. So you can watch SU in that nooner against Western Michigan. Uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noon's Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Megaphone, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on numerous other places that you listen to podcasts and go orange. Go orange.